Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for the privilege it is to worship you. Even in a, a season like this, Lord, where your word tells us to put on the, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, Lord. And uh, so many questions, uh, so many doubts for many, Lord, of fear and bewilderment, God, and uh, concern and distraction with politics and public figures and left and right wing ideology just so much Lord just drawing our attention away from the fact that you're you're the king of the universe Lord and um, you haven't forgotten about us Lord you haven't uh, taken your gaze actually off us Lord for one moment um, but you're intimate in the way that you deal with us Lord and you uh, still speak and impress upon us by your spirit Lord, you told us you wouldn't leave us as orphans, but you would come to us, Lord. And, um, and Father, we thank you for such sweet and precious promises we have uh, because of your love wherewith you loved us first, Lord. Um, nothing we could earn, nothing we could ever deserve, Lord, um, but freely you offered us a gift, Lord, and ask us any who would uh, receive you, Lord Jesus, then would become the children of God. And so, uh, Father, we thank you for this night. Uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, move in our midst. Uh, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be glorified. Father, we pray that you take your word, uh, you sow it in our hearts, Lord, you cause it to produce fruit uh, in some 30, some 60, some 100-fold, God. Uh, that's how you move. That's what you do, Lord. You promised it would never return void, Lord. Regardless of scenario and situation, regardless of season of life or um, whether free or captive, whether meeting in privacy or publicly, Lord, you, your word steps outside of and stands in power beyond time and space and the affairs of men, Father. So uh, we thank you for this night, Lord. We thank you for the privilege that we have, even through technology, to meet with you this way, Lord. God, we ask that. Uh, again, as one fellowship, Lord, uh, that you would draw us together and closer as the body of Christ in the days approaching ahead of us, Lord. Um, Father, not only that we might be revived and breathed back to life and, um, and set on fire again, Lord, but that the unsaved world would see and many would be saved, Lord. And we pray in your name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen. So tonight we're going to be jumping out of Isaiah 40. Um, if you'll turn there, um, but I kind of want to set the picture um, in 2 Timothy, but tonight we'll be in Isaiah 40, basically verses 21 through 31. If you don't mind, I'd love to kind of set this picture first. Uh, Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, most scholars believe Paul writing at the end of his life at this point. Um, to his beloved Timothy, who was his son in the faith. Paul was like a father in the faith to him. And he's got some last things he's trying to encourage him. He wants to tell him. And I just, you know, again, the topic of tonight's study is going to be called Fear Not. Because, the, it, you know, again, in the days that we live, I think, I think one of the greatest tactics and, and, and modes of warfare that a lot of us are facing um, is to be consumed by fear or discouragement or worry or doubt of what the future holds, 
or even then resentment and all the kind of things that build outside of that. And oftentimes it comes because, as we'll look tonight, we get our eyes fixed on other things and not the Lord. Um, spending 30 hours watching you know, television and, and Fox News and CNN or reading Facebook posts of which probably most of them aren't even true or accurate and get kind of caught up in the temporary things of this age and this life that are passing away from us. The things that are going to abide unto eternal life are in Christ. To keep our, to, to, for us, the, the encouragement is for us to keep our eyes fixed on him in heaven where all of our expected hope is. Um, so, so that's going to be the, the direction we launch out into tonight. But one of the last things that Paul tells Timothy in chapter 2, verse one, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he goes through kind of the first uh, five verses or so there about where Timothy's faith came from, the fact that he first saw it in Lois and in, in his mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois, uh, and he's persuaded then it's in Timothy also, this strong and wavering faith. Timothy was a young man when he started walking with Paul. Most believe at these points he's about 30 years old or so. At this point he's a little bit older. Uh, but, but a young man, strong in the Lord, convicted, walking with Paul, being a, a, a servant under the Lord in, in relationship to Paul, and, and kind of being like a, uh, a second hand, if you would. But one of the things, and again, because Timothy being a young man and, and facing uncertain times at this point, and you know, Nero on the throne and Rome kind of slaughtering the church, a lot of stuff going on at this point. One of the things that Paul tells Timothy, starting in verse 6, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And in verse 7 he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So one of the last things that, that Paul in his life and the earthly ministry that he would have passes on to his son in the faith, he says, look, he says, I remind you, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So there's something invested in you, Timothy, that needs to be stirred up. Don't allow the days that you're in and the situations that are coming on the church or what's looking like in, in Jerusalem and you know all of Israel at this point and Rome and all that kind of stuff. Don't allow it to, to cause the gift that God has placed in you to go dormant. Allow it to be stirred up and agitated. Let, let God's Work start to be moving in your heart in the days that you live. And he says, for, in verse 7, it means because. So Paul is telling Timothy, allow it to be stirred up, that thing that's in you, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So very much what's been on my heart all week has been that verse specifically in relationship to our fellowship in South Philly and everybody else who's listening. If you're a believer in Christ, don't allow whatever God has done in your heart, whatever your situation is right now, God in his spirit giving you some things, giving you a voice, giving you the ability right now to be a minister in your home to your spouse and your children or to be a testimony to your unsaved family. Don't allow that to go dormant, but let it be stirred up in you. And the reason is because God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. In fact, it's quite opposite of fear. It's of, of strength or power, and of love, and of a sound mind. And so again, when fear begins to take over our life, which we're going to kind of take a look at this, why we shouldn't fear. It's not enough, and Yared and I were talking before we started tonight, 
You know, it's almost foolish to say to somebody, it's, it's not enough to just say, look, you should stop being scared. No, you, you have a rightful concern if you're about to lose your job or already lost it. You have a rightful concern if you haven't paid your mortgage in two months. There are things that should concern us in this world and responsibilities that we're being crippled by and in right now. The deal is, though, fear shouldn't consume our life. Proper concern, being responsible, how can I address these things? What do I need to do in relationship? Can I call my mortgage company? All these other things we should handle in the proper perspective. But it'd be foolish of me to come up here and say, look, if you're scared, stop being scared. Because Mike telling you to stop being scared has no weight, no value. There's no sustenance to any of it. The beautiful part is Paul there telling Timothy, he says, he says, let that gift be stirred up in you because God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. No, in fact, he's given you a spirit of power and of love. And a sound mind. So that's what I want to take a look at tonight as we jump off in Isaiah 40. Is, is, is how should we stop being in fear? If you're in fear tonight, if your life is consumed by doubt and concern and frustration because of that, if all you do is watch the news and you're, and you're filled with like, is Trump doing this in our favor? Is he against us? Is China lying? Are they not? All these things, all this stuff going on, left and right politics. Uh, now it's the governor, and I'm in Pennsylvania, it's Governor Wolf. No, it's not Governor Wolf. You know, and you, and you go back and forth. If you want to go in public, uh, you're a fool because you're trying to put everybody at risk. Or if you don't want to go in the public, uh, you're a fool because how are you going to pay your bills? There's so much going on, so much noise that can take over our mind and our hearts. And then we become filled with fear because now we're leaning on our own understanding. And so I want to read to you this section of Isaiah 40. Because it's not enough for me, again, to say, look, stop being full of fear. Because Mike is nothing. I'm nobody. But when God reminds you who he is, when God reminds you what he does, when God reminds you how he views all the things that feel so permanent to us right now and how they're temporary to him and like chaff that will ultimately be driven away in the wind, that's where our courage is at. Again, Paul tells Timothy, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Not Timothy, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of strength, courage, and sound mind. But God has given you a different type of spirit. And so for you and I as believers tonight, the Lord has given us a different measure of spirit. Not because we're strong. In fact, we're very weak and fragile people. Not because we got it all figured out. In fact, because we don't, but he knows all of it. Not because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to huff and puff and blow the house down and prove everybody wrong. Because you're not. In fact, if you have that sort of mentality and that kind of heart, you may be like the man who built his house on the sand. And so tonight, as we look in Isaiah 40, if you'll go there with me, starting in verse 21, I'm going to read it, and then we'll kind of break it down in sections. We'll start in verse 21, and we'll go to end of verse 26. Take a look at that. Verses 27 to the end of 28. Take a look at that. And then 29 to 31. So let me read with you. God is saying through Isaiah, the prophet, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers 
who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He, talking about God, brings, uh, the word there is reduces the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall they their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, God is saying, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. So Isaiah here in chapter 40, Isaiah is prophesying all the way through the Assyrian captivity. It's not a great political climate in Israel at this point. You have uh, a lot of Israel has turned away. Northern tribes have started to be carried off. There's basically the Assyrian besiege taking place. And, and Isaiah is called by God in the midst of this. To be speaking in behalf of God. And so the people are, 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 are fearful. There's things going on. They're not sure what to do. Do I trust the Lord? Do I not trust the Lord? Do I trust in, in false idols and other things that I can create with my own hand? The beginning of Isaiah 40 goes through this whole thing about you trust in idols and things that are made by man. And he kind of brings them then to this point uh, in Isaiah 40, starting in verse 21, where he says, Have you not known or have you not heard? Or has it been told from you the beginning? So God begins to say in relationship to Isaiah the prophet, he's saying, don't you know who I am actually? The fact that he's all power. This whole section here is going to give the fact that God is all powerful and an all-knowing God. So again, as we talk about this topic of fear not, on the first basis, it's important to view God in light of who he actually is. That's where fear begins to fleet away. You say, wow, this is all a vapor of a moment in time right now in relationship to God's understanding. This is here today and gone tomorrow. And he's actually saying to Isaiah, you guys, haven't you heard? Don't you know? Hasn't it been told to you from the very beginning, from creation itself, from time? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth when you look at creation and everything around you, the fact that there is, there's a designer who designed all of this? He says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like, he's saying God sits outside of time, outside of space, outside of material. And his affection, he looks upon the earth and it says and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. The way you and I would see a grasshopper in the field and say, oh, that's nice. And, and you have the ability at that point to determine its life and death and if you want to take it or where it goes. Isaiah is saying, it's, that's the Lord himself. That's how he sees this whole thing. Going on, it says later on, he says he brings the princes to nothing and he brings the judges. He makes the judges of the earth useless. It literally says he reduces the political powers to nothing and he makes the judges or the judicial powers of the earth useless. And so, again, in a day right now where we're living, a lot of the fear that, that cripples even believers in Christ, you and I, when we get our eyes fixed off of Christ and off of the glory of God, and we start to look on the peripheral, and we say, oh man, what is going on here? God, when he looks at it, he says, no, 
I reduce those things to nothing in his power and his might and how he sees things. Look, for you and I, it could mean temporary discomfort. It could mean things get a little bit difficult for us at times. Isaiah prophesying, this wasn't a great time for Isaiah to be prophesying. Where I read for Paul in relationship to what he said to Timothy about not to fear because God didn't give him that spirit, but of, of power and of love and sound mind. It wasn't a great time for Paul. He was in prison. He's about to die for what he believed. But the point was that if we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord and the power of his might, the fact that God Almighty is all powerful, it may seem like, it may feel like the world is spinning out of control. In fact, we are cascading in that direction to the last days where his kingdom will ultimately be established. We're not out of bounds in relationship to what God said would be happening. We're right in the middle of it. And so as, as, as difficult as life can be at this point, it's first place for us to get to is to remember that God is all-powerful and he's all-knowing. Washington isn't going to fix the issue of sin in man's heart. Man is set to destroy himself. Man is set to destroy himself without God. He then says, scarcely shall they be planted, or scarcely, in verse 24, shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth. He says, when he blows on them and they wither, and, and the whirlwind takes them away like stubble. He's talking about all the power brokers and the political systems and the judicial systems, whether in the Western culture, Eastern culture, or Middle East, or Far East, wherever it is. Ultimately, it's going to blow away like stubble, but like a whirlwind. Yet we cling to it, spend hours being controlled by it, watching it, feeding our mind and our heart with all kinds of pollution. When really we need to be in relationship. Look, if you're full of fear tonight or discouragement, one of Satan's greatest tactics, discouragement. If you're full of doubt, which is just another form of fear. I don't say this simple. And we'll take a look at that as we go on tonight. It isn't that God's people in the earth don't have these moments, but they need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. You need to be reminded to look up. Your salvation has drawn nigh. God in his infinite wisdom, all of this is happening for a better plan and a better purpose. There is a future set in front of us. There is a city that we will inhabit for good, where he will be our God and will be his people. And he says, then to whom shall you liken me in verse 25? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. And then he tells he says, Isaiah, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. He's talking about the stars of heaven. He says, I've put them all there in my own power. I've numbered all of them in my own might. Not one of them is missing because I do that. Billions and billions. When you go out at night and you look up and you see all these stars with the eye can see. Then you get a telescope and then you get these bigger scopes that they have and governments. And all. all of that he placed in, in order by his hand. He stretched all of it out in his own might by his own power. And so again, as as we deal with the issue of not being full of fear in the days that we live. Again, not concern and responsibility in relationship to how do we need to go about our day, but not full of fear, not doubting God. You go out tonight, if the sky is clear, I have no idea if it will be. It's probably going to be cloudy. You look up in the heavens, you see them stars, and remember, God put everyone there in his place. That's what he's done. He says, by the greatness of his might, and the strength of his power, not one is missing. So the first part of relationship to dealing with 
being full of fear is remember God. Remember God. Remember what he's done in your life. I know for me, it's easy for me to look around and say, Lord, there isn't anything in my life I haven't received from you. I was a homeless street junkie. I would have done anything, gone anywhere. It didn't matter. And when I look back, I think, all right, things might get shaky. Life might get crazy. But the same power that raised me out of death and darkness and disgusting sin and gave me a new life and breathed breath into my lungs for the first time, it's the same one. He still is powerful. He still is capable. His resources are still unlimited. I need to come to him. My worry and my fear and my concern are not things that can be helpful when I come to him. But saying, hey, Lord, I know you own the cattle of a thousand hills. I know that you know right now where I'm at and what I'm going through. I know that you know. And oftentimes, and we'll look at that as, as, as we look at, at the end of our verses here. It's coming to him in prayer, not to inform him, but for him, not, for him to inform us about what he wants to do. The next part, verses 27 and 28, are literally finding courage and strength in the fact that he's all-powerful and that he knows everything. That's where our strength and our courage need to be found at. Verse 27 says, Why do you, O Jacob, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So if you're in that place tonight, where you're saying like, man, I'm talking to God. He's not saying nothing. Maybe I've got to figure it out for myself. He says there, and you say my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The creator of the ends of the earth, he doesn't faint or grow weary. You know what happens when we get frustrated with God? We faint and we grow weary. Our understanding is super limited. It says there, but his understanding is unsearchable. It literally means the word unsearchable is past finding out. You can go mining in relationship to the understanding of God. And when you found a nugget of truth, there's a billion times a billion times a billion other nuggets of truth. And understanding. Oftentimes, and you'll hear people say it's almost those moments where you say, aha, right? Like, oh, now I get it, Lord. <laughs> oh, that's what he's saying here. Why would, don't bring that claim against God. Come to God and say, with my whole heart have I sought you. Lord, please speak to me. I know I'm full of fear. I know I'm full of doubt. I know that I'm limiting your ability because I don't see you for your power and your majesty and who you are as the infinite creator. Help my unbelief. And that he won't turn away. A broken heart, a contrast, he's not going to turn that away. He wants us to come that way. So the second part in dealing with fear in our life at this point is finding courage and strength in the fact that he is all powerful. He is the one who knows everything. He isn't past finding it. You can't figure God out. You can't just resolute say, all right, well, God's judging America. It is what it is. Let's buckle down and brace up, and that's what's going to happen. That's not who he is. His ways are past finding out. For you, personally, intimately, 
as a son or as a daughter tonight. Your father is the king. Ask him. Ask for forgiveness. Lord, I've made you so small. Forgive me. I'm going to lose my house, Lord. I don't know what to do. I've already lost my job, Lord. Unemployment's not coming. You know, all this stuff going on. It's there that he wants to meet us. Myself, with the guys that I work with, having to make decisions to think, okay, Lord, you've allowed my life to be successful maybe until this point so that when the storm is over, I have nothing left but everybody's taken care of. Those are prayers that I've had to go before the Lord with. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? You haven't just given me the stewardship of my own wife and kids, but many spouses and kids. Help me, Lord. You're the one who knows everything. You're the one who has everything. You're the one who spun it all into existence and placed the stars right where they are. You're the one by your power and your might. Not one of them goes out by your hand when you say so. And the last part is when we're doing those two things, the beauty of what our life will look like. Look, you don't have to be wildly successful and popular in order to be spirit-filled and obedient. Oftentimes, a lot of those don't go together. Spirit-filled and obedient many times is counterculture and unpopular. <laughs> People don't like that. You may stand and say and be strong in places where people are scared and full of fear and, and you know think that you're nuts for believing what you believe. The interesting part is this. In verse 29 to 31, it says this. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength tonight. If you're feeling weak. If you have no might, he'll give power to you. Ask. James, I think, would say, he says, you have not because you ask not, or you have not because you ask that you might amiss that you might consume it upon your own desires. You're not asking. The word tells us that if we want more of the Holy Spirit, that just like an evil father has the ability to give good, good gifts to his children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask. Do you need power tonight? Do you need might in your life? In verse 30 it says, Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And that word weary there, when it says even the youth shall faint and be weary, it means through a hardness of life. The difficulties of life can cause you to be weary and faint. And the young man shall utterly fall, full of exhaustion. But notice in verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. What's interesting there in verse 31, it's talking about renewing strength for you and I as the sons and daughters of God. This is a a season most of us have never encountered before. Do you need your strength renewed? Have you walked in power and might and authority and been filled with God's Spirit and walked in faith and truth and been unwavering and now the waves and the storms of this life are beating against you and you need to be renewed, you need to be refreshed? Then the verse says, wait on the Lord. Attend to the Lord. Say, God, what do you want for me in this time? Though I have two mites left, I'll give it, if that's what you're asking. 
I remember one time we were living in a one-bedroom apartment, Crystal and I. Vanessa was just born. We had no money. I would work. I felt like, man, I would work all these hours. I could barely pay rent and the bills. And I was just trying to do everything right. And finally, get eviction notice on the door because I'm, you know, the phrase, I'm robbing from Peter to pay Paul. I'm not paying the electric bill this month. I'm not paying the water bill that month so that I can pay rent and all this other stuff. And finally, I, I literally get on my knees. I say, Lord, if you want me to live in a tent, I'll do that. Like, for real. Like, please tell me what to do. And long story short, we had a what was called a freak snowstorm October, like eight years ago. And I was doing snow removal, and it paid all my bills off. Left me with zero dollars, but all my bills were paid. And it was then I knew God heard me in heaven. He heard me. Like, I literally meant, Lord, I'll take my wife and my daughter right now and go live in a tent, if that's what you're trying to make me do. I just want to do what you're asking. So that's what's interesting here. If you want your strength renewed, wait on the Lord. Attend to the Lord. He says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So it's easy to, to fly and to run and to walk with this, uh, a purpose when everything's good. But in the days that we live, in the times that we live, in the climate of uh, political correctness or you know all the agendas, all the stuff going on, all the things that are challenging even the church and the freedoms that we've had for so long, now's the time. Ask God, renew my strength, Lord. Wait upon Him. Turn the TV off. Shut Facebook down. Spend time in His presence. Lord, I need You to renew my strength. I'm full of fear and doubt and discouragement. I know You haven't given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of strength and a sound mind, Lord. Look, for you and I, and I don't know how much time I really have to go through some of these other verses, but David would write in the Psalms, as he's about to be attacked. He says, he says, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I've put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. So simply there, when, when, when life is raging and situations are changing and they're adverse to our personal life, where do we put our trust? Though all of these things are happening, my enemies against me, all this stuff is happening. Lord, I'm going to rejoice in you. I'm going to put my trust in you. In Deuteronomy 31, I won't read all the verses here. But Moses is passing the baton of leadership to Joshua. And several times here, Moses tells Joshua in 31, starting in verse 3, he says, The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you and shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites in the land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you. That you may do to them according to the commandment which I have commanded you. Moses says to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. Because for the Lord your God, 
He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. In the same regard, look, Joshua enters the land. There's giants there. There's war. There's deception and deceit even in his own camp. There's all kinds of stuff that takes place. Even though God is promising and he's faithful and he remains in relationship to what he told Joshua. It wasn't just prancing through the lilies. It wasn't just popping chocolates. You know all the different phrases. It was, no, I'm going before you. I'm going to be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. The same is for us. He promised he wouldn't leave us here as orphans. He'd send the Holy Spirit. Look, for for most of us, the question isn't how much of the Holy Spirit do we have. It's how much of us does the Holy Spirit have. So again, in the days that we live, first part of not being in fear, get your eyes fixed in your heart, if you would, back on the power and the majesty and the knowledge of who God is. When you realize He's all-powerful and He knows everything, that gives you a settled peace. Like, all right, Lord, you know exactly what's going on. This might be a little uncomfortable, but you got it. And then you get back to the place of of finding strength in that relationship. Like, man, you know what, Lord? I've been in pretty difficult times before, and you've proved yourself faithful. You've shown that you're powerful, and you're all that is majestic and wonderful. I'm going to trust in that, Lord. I'm not going to constantly try to figure out and and pinpoint when is... Uh, when are we going to get off quarantine? When am I going to get my job back? I'm going to get my job back. All these different things, Lord. You know what? You're powerful. You're majestic. You've, you've been faithful in my life before. I'm going to trust you that you're going to be faithful again. I don't know how, to what extent, and none of that's my business. But, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And when we're doing that, now we're waiting on the Lord. And guess what happens? Our strength is renewed. We'll soar high on wings like eagles. We'll run, the scripture says. And not grow weary. Will walk and not faint. In closing. Some practical things. Paul writes in Philippians 4. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Again I'll say rejoice. It's an easy question. What do you rejoice in? Verse 5 he says. Let your gentleness or your graciousness be known to all men. Reason. The Lord is at hand. Do you treat the presence of the Lord like he's really here? Do you trust that God is with you? Verse 6, Philippians 4 says, Then be anxious for nothing. Anxious there is careful or full of care, constantly worrying. Be anxious for nothing. Notice what he says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Paul says there, stop being full of concern for all sorts of things. But in everything, by prayer, have a conversation with God. I wish, and this is a confession, I wish I prayed as much as I spent time reading news. 
I think maybe I would be a, 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 a little bit more loving, a little bit more gracious and tactful and not so rough of a person. But he's saying, don't be full of care. In fact, on the opposite of that, bring all of that stuff before the Lord. But, but everything, he says, by prayer and supplication, that means by request, with thanksgiving in your heart. Lord, I'm going to ask you these questions. I'm not sure what's going on, but thank you that you're on the throne. Thank you that you got it figured out because I sure don't and, and the administration sure doesn't and China doesn't and Russia. You know, you can be for real with God. Lord, none of us got any of this figured out, but you do. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. That's going to be the thing when we make our requests known to God and we're settled in that place. I'm not going to be full of anxiety and concern and fear of what's going on in today. Lord, I'm going to put it all in front of you because that's what you've asked me to do. And the promise there is that the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, which is super cool because you think about it, what it's saying there is there's something that is greater than the understanding that you're looking for when you're full of fear. The very peace of God, it says, will guard your heart and mind. That word guard there is a military term. It means to set out spies or, or to, to set a garrison in place. Literally, the peace of God is going to be superior to understanding itself in times of uncertainty, and it's going to guard you. It'll be the thing that establishes and settles your heart rather than be frantic and racing back and forth from thought to thought. Again, for you and I. Not because of me saying it means anything, but because of who God is. Fear not. He's on the throne. He hasn't vacated his position. He hasn't slipped for a thought for a moment. He hasn't taken his left eye off of you and all of a sudden you're outside of his presence. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's everywhere all at the same time. He knows intimately what's going on in your life, in my life. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Uh, we thank you for technology and the ability uh, just to, to spend time with you in worship and in your word uh, through Facebook, through uh, all the different mediums, Lord, that you're giving the church right now, Lord. I thank you that uh, what the enemy means for evil, Lord, you're purposing for good right now, Lord. Just watching my, even personally, my newsfeed lit up with verses and, and short devotionals and worship songs and testimonies of how good you are, Lord, and even though the enemy has set to destroy us, Lord, you've uh, literally caused your church to open up in the house of every believer in America, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for reminding us, Lord, even through these difficult times, that the church is not the building. The ecclesia are the called out ones. Us, Lord. You called us out of the world into your marvelous light, filled us with your spirit, given us a hope and a future, Lord. Uh, so we thank you for that, Lord. We pray. Give us courage like you told Joshua. Multiple times Joshua needed courage. Give us, uh, Lord, courage like you gave to Paul when he was worried about if they were going to beat him in Corinth or not, Lord. Give us a, a visitation of you, Lord, to be lifted up, uh, to see you high and majestic, Lord, that our hearts would be steadied, our minds would be flushed with racing thoughts, Lord. Uh, and we would again have our eyes fixed on you, supreme, Lord, uh, the, the power of all, Lord. We love you. We thank you in your name, Jesus. Amen.